Measures, please follow your request for benefits with the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Please visit injurycompensation.hrsa.gov to learn more and tell a friend. Well, there it is, the college radio delivery, PSA and all. So welcome to the best 30 minutes of your life. Uh, this is the Unsanctioned Citizen, and we are covering genetic privacy just a little bit today. Um, so what I wanted to kind of follow up on, because I, I started in on the trailhead of 23andMe. Now, 23andMe is not necessarily like the nefarious bad guy, but what they did do is they put an, a kind of ubiquitous license on genetic information where people just kind of signed away their genetic privacy rights kind of in a holistic way to to the effect that they could kind of become the next Henrietta Lacks um, from an information genetic research standpoint. Um, <clears throat> if they're not careful, you know, and if they don't kind of understand really what they're getting into. So I think a lot of people were really... Uh, alarmed by that and many people over the years have watched 23andMe and said listen you need to conform to Gina you need to at least let people know that they have an opt-out right um, and so again the commercial version of this is like okay well you know you pay for the service but if you want access to this other type of service inside of the you know, catalog of your genetics, well then, you know, you have to play, pay to play with your own information. So people, people opt into that and then they kind of get access to a lot of other people's information who, who get involved in that, that data banking um, for research, research and development, research licensing. And so I just want to just be another person in the in the pot going, hey, you know, it's not really, not really the best for long term privacy interests or genetic privacy interests if you just sign away all of your genetic information ad nauseum. So I think that there really is a big push to to add more, you know, pushback PR. So they they kind of licensed the idiocy of Whitney Cummings who isn't my favorite comic in the world but she doesn't have to be I mean she's she's funny she's funny enough but she's not a comic that I I necessarily respect for saying well it doesn't matter your genetic privacy doesn't matter you can just put your information that you know your your email in a phone book you know and she's just kind of like straw manning or she's putting an ad hominem like argument together that your address and your email are the same as your genetic privacy. They're not. They just aren't. And so she kind of just merged those together when she started doing her comic bit about a telephone book being thrown onto the onto the pavement in front of your house. And it's just not the same. Uh, it just isn't. Your genetic privacy is deeply, deeply personal. And people do discriminate based on genetic knowledge about whatever they find about you. So if you end up in there, then you're going to be in trouble uh, if you're not careful about leveling what is, you know, if you can't control, if it's just one gate, like, open or closed, 
then, you know, if you care about your privacy at all, you have to tell them closed. I want this gate closed. And the law is kind of that way, too. Gina is, is constructed that where, you know, in order for people to really obey it, you know, you need to just do one way. And unfortunately, uh, dumb comics like Winnie Cummings doesn't, don't really understand that. And so I just needed to kind of vent a little bit and say conflating an email address and a phone book and an you know your your physical address is just not the same as your genetic privacy. Um, let's put in let's do a little quick search here. Genetic privacy. Okay, so I'm going to look at some of the genetic privacy lawsuits that may have been in the news. So there's a New Jersey police tap into secret state database that contains DNA quietly taken from every baby born. I'm not surprised by this. New Jersey is just that kind of a state. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and put that right there on Twitter. So I'll just blast that on Twitter right there. That can go out. Um, uh, just as a, a kickback, I just wanted to say additionally that China announces sanctions against Nancy Pelosi on following Taiwan visit. And nobody cares. But she is she is now a sanctioned citizen. I just want everybody to know that Nancy Pelosi is a sanctioned citizen. On Friday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that China will not isolate Taiwan by preventing U.S. officials from visiting the island. Pelosi said, and a congregation, congressional de delegation were in Japan on the last stage of their Asia trip that included a stop in Taiwan, self-ruled island that is claimed by China. A statement from the Chinese Foreign Ministry said that the U.S. has disregarded China's concerns about, around the visit and announced that sanctions would be imposed upon the speaker and members of her family. This follows claims by state media that the country has launched, launched its largest ever military drills in the seas and skies around Taiwan on Thursday, which is really bad news. Um, that part's bad news. I mean, eh, you know, sanctioning Nancy Pelosi is really not going to not going to do very much. But as far as the New York or the New Jersey police using DNA collected from every baby born, who gave them the right? So, New Jersey police used blood samples taken from babies to investigate the crimes of family members, according to a lawsuit filed by the New Jersey Office of the Public Defender and the New Jersey Monitor. State-run testing lab compiled with a New Jersey State Police subpoena for a child's blood sample, which authorities used to link the child's father to a crime committed more than 25 years ago. The police were able to access this information without a warrant, which, you know, that kind of kicks to 23andMe. They've done that before. They've approached 23andMe for, you know, criminal surveillance of, of DNA data. So, which the lawsuit suggests could constitute an unconstitutional search. All babies born in the state of New Jersey are required to have a blood sample drawn within 48 hours as part of a mandatory test for genetic disorders. These samples are processed in a state-run lab and retained by the New Jersey Department of Health for over 20 years. If police are able to successfully subpoena this information, then every baby in the state of New Jersey is effectively being entered into a DNA database that can be used to surveil them and their family members for decades to come. 
DNA holds our sensitive personal information, wrote the American Civil Liberties Union. Thankfully, God, something had to wake them out of their stupor. Finally, wrote the American Civil Liberties Union in a statement, allowing the government to access samples with such sensitive information for reasons other than public health would be seriously threaten our privacy, particularly given that our DNA reveals such information not only about us, but our, our family members. It is. It does become a pre-criminal matter. So there's that. And it says, alarmed by this practice, it strongly believes that cons- it constitutes an illegal search. OPD seeks to learn how often state agencies are utilizing the newborn screening lab as an investigatory tool for its prosecutions in order to sidestep the constitutional rights of defendants to be free from warrantless searches and seizures. Okay, so let's let's look at this. Uh, so that's a genetic privacy lawsuit right there. Oh, so this year there was a genetic data privacy law that went into effect, and that was in January of this year. Just so you know, it's not genetic privacy law is in no way dead. Uh, California enacted the Genetic Information Privacy Act, or GIPA, to become the latest state genetic data privacy law to go into effect, adding to a growing number of state laws that require special protections for genetic data. The new law, signed by Governor Gavin Newsom on October 6, 2021, impacts direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies as well as service providers to those companies like 23 me. Among those requirements, GIPA dis- requires DTC or direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies to, one, provide con- California consumers with certain information regarding their policies and procedures for the collection, use, maintenance, and disclosure of gen- genetic data, obtain a separate express consent from a consumer for the collection, use, and or disclosure of the consumer's genetic data and have in place a contract with specific contractual provisions with a certain with certain other downstream service providers. Downstream are all those third party vendors who make a bunch of money from data, data trafficking, any kind of data, anything that you will give them. Bones, meat, hair, cells, cells within cells, interlinked genetic data. So, so to have in place a contract with specific contractual provisions with certain of their downstream service providers, below we discuss provisions of the law. Key obligations are things like direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies and their service providers will need to review, GIPA, update their consumer-facing notices and consent forms and other internal processes to comply with the law. So there's a big, long list. There's a scope of genetic data. I think that that has something to do with it. Under GIPA, genetic data includes any data, regardless of its format, that results from the analysis of a biological sample from a consumer or from another element-enabling equivalent information to be obtained. Concerns genetic materials such as DNA and RNA and any information extrapolated, derived, or inferred therefrom. De-identified data, or data that cannot be used to infirm, 
sorry, infer information about or otherwise be linked to a particular individual is not genetic data under the law. Provided that the business that possesses the information meets certain requirements to ensure the data is not re-identified. So genetic data also does not include data or biological samples to the extent that data or biological samples your specimens, sir. Uh, shall be used, collected, maintained, disclosed exclusively for scientific research conducted by an investigator with an institution that holds an, an assurance with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services pursuant to 45 CFR Part 46 in compliance with all applicable federal and state laws and regulations for the protection of human subjects in research. So, that's pretty strenuous. That's a pretty strenuous drive for for lawmaking. Let's see if there's anything else going on. So this is let's see here. Let's let's do this in the past day. Eugenics. The eugenics article comes up like almost immediately. So any kind of eugenics discrimination based on genetic quality of Gattaca. Humanity, humanity, sorry. Uh, cousin marriage also comes up underneath that, which is really weird. Facial recognition also comes up underneath cousin marriage. <laughs> uh, a, there was a Kelly Clarkson lawsuit. She, she sued her ex-father-in-law. And I think it's... Uh, has something to do with her divorce. I don't really think I want to do that. <sighs> it just doesn't seem... Oh, well, hey, here's an Alex Jones. Alex Jones must pay $4 million to parents of Sandy Hook victim. What else is Alex Jones? Alex Jones was totally in the news today. He's, he's in court again. People keep calling this show and trying to get me to to pay attention to Alex Jones. Maybe I should just try. So Conan O'Brien said, it says, I already knew Kim and Pete broke up because Alan's Joe's lawyer sent me their text messages. <laughs> okay, so three hours ago, breaking Alex Jones' verdict is in. Total $45.2 million in punitive damage. His house of quack pills and conspiracies is beginning to crumble, according to this who is this? John Scott Railton, Citizen Lab. Oh, well, can't expect him to be happy about Alex Jones because Citizen Lab is kind of a tech enclave for investigative journalism. Can't, can't expect them to, to think, think great thoughts, the great and wonderful thoughts about Alex Jones. Can't, can't expect that. So that's but $4 million, that's that's a fortune. That's a lot of money. So uh, there's a note here from Joe Citizen who actually was on the, you know, in league with the program a little bit ago, like yesterday, I think. Um, he said, good things Alex Jones wasn't caught with meth and prostitutes while selling American secrets to Ukraine or he'd be in some real trouble. <laughs> 
So, all right. It's 7.59 p.m., and uh, we got a long way to go on this program. Let me see if there's any anybody who wants to call in and talk. Sent out kind of a big thing. Let me see here. It's a genetic privacy. <sighs> genetic privacy. Yeah, that's kind of boring. Listen to me type on this. Oh, yeah, in honor of Henrietta Lacks' birthday, birthday, which is a big deal, Henrietta Lacks was the person whose genetic material was used by a cancer research firm. I mean, they sold it, they resold it, they sold it for research, they profited indefinitely from this poor woman's cancer cells, her HPV cancer cells, and... Um, you know, she became kind of like the bedrock case for, for genetic privacy. So her birthday was August 1st, apparently, and in honor of Henrietta Lacks' birthday, a few reminders, the human cells you use for research came from a person to researcher-patient communication matters, genetic privacy matters, universal health care is essential according to Gabriella Canales. You know, I'll I'll go with points one, two, and three, but universal health care is up to interpretation by certain governments, and I don't really know what that means because it's got a lot of, you know, extemporaneous blah, blah, blah. Um, but I generally understand the premise. So, so here is Epoch Times. Let me see here. As promised a month ago, and oops, here's why ordering a DNA testing kit from companies like 23andMe could be the worst thing you do for genetic privacy and health. Oh, what's in this Pandora's box? Why don't we just click it? Let's just click it. Megan C. At-home DNA testing companies have become increasingly popular in the past few years especially with the rise of 23andMe and Ancestry DNA. Through a simple $99 kit and a tube of saliva, you can receive info about both your ancestry and health risks. While these positives to these companies, I am going to share some of the dangers and not-so-public information about these at-home DNA tests, breaking it down into two main issues, one, accuracy, and two, genetic privacy. 23andMe and first, Megan Chappelle is a neuroscience PhD student at the DeBiase lab at UCLA. She's a GRFP fellow and a GLIA enthusiast, founder of Scholars Cell, and then, of course, pronouns. Okay, inaccurate results could cause people to forego recommended cancer testings like mammograms. Uh, 23andMe was actually banned by the FDA in 23, at 2013 uh, because of concerns that patients would rely on data from the test to self-manage their treatments with dose changes or even abandon certain therapies altogether. 23andMe has since put kits back on the market with some disclaimers. A 20, 
2018 investigation, a reporter sent in a DNA sample from the same individual, Bailey, to many different companies. Uh, a company called Origin sent back a full pri- profile of health information slash traits Bailey might have, including that she was likely a skilled basketball player or boxer. The problem? Bailey was actually a three-year-old Labrador retriever. Origin couldn't distinguish human DNA from dog DNA. And in 2020, Origin produced hundreds of false positive COVID test results. So can companies like Origin be trusted to provide accurate information? As for genetic privacy, there are a few main issues. Genetic information can be stored permanently, can be widely disseminated, and it is virtually impossible to keep anonymous. When you send in your saliva to a DNA testing company, only a portion of it is used for sequencing. The rest of your physical DNA sample can be stored by the company for years. It's not thrown out. Ancestry DNA company officials won't say where or for how long a sample is stored. Genetic information can also be widely disseminated. DNA testing companies have been making multi-million dollar deals with pharmaceutical companies to use the customer's genetic information for drug testing and other studies. In 2015, Pfizer, yes, that one, struck a deal with 23andMe for access to customers' genetic data. And in 2018, GlaxoKleinSmith signed a $300 million deal with 23andMe. Customers have essentially paid $99 for their info to be distributed with no profit. There it is. There it is. That's the Google model right there. No profit to you for your information. All profit goes to them. They have and retain exclusive license to your stuff, Okay, making their customer the product. Insurance companies may also have access to the customer's genetic data. Testing kits aren't HIPAA compliant, and while GINA prohibits genetic-based discrimination in workplaces and health insurance, GINA doesn't protect individuals from discrimination for other types of insurance life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance are all not covered by GINA. So if these insurance companies learn of an individual's increased risk of neurodegenerative diseases, for example, they may be blocked from obtaining certain types of insurance. How terrible. Genetic anonymity, sorry, anonymity is virtually impossible While these tests can help people find long-lost relatives, they can also uncover the identities of egg and sperm donors who wish to be remaining anonymous. Even if your third cousin sent in their info to a genealogy database, your info is out there too, by proxy. So some good news. If you already took a test and you want to remove your genetic information from these databases, it is possible for 23andMe and AncestryDNA, you can request to delete your info from their databases online. To destroy your physical DNA sample, you'll need to call the company. I'd love to hear others' opinions on the use of the DNA test, including the data debate sorry, of the benefits of increasing data accessibility, so please reply with your thoughts. I thought it was a pretty cool little assertion there. Let me see who else did. Oh, hey, there's Joe. Um, let me see. So, again, Henrietta Lacks, 
she becomes like this herald, this this bulwark for genetic privacy. <clears throat> the hundredth anniversary anniversary of the birth of Henrietta Lacks, referred to as the mother of modern medicine. Her cells have been used in experiments in laboratories around the world, but were cultivated without her consent. Eventually, her story led to the rewriting of the rules around ethics and healthcare. As the dawn of the era of personalized medicine begins, the lessons from her story are more important now than ever. Lacks, an African-American tobacco farmer from Virginia, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cervical cancer in 1951. Her doctor at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore obtained biopsy from her cervix for diagnosis and treatment. A small part of her tissue was taken to the tissue culture laboratory without Lacks knowledge or consent, a common practice at the time. Nobody had yet been able to keep human cells alive for a long period of time outside of the body. However, George Gee, who was the head of the tissue culture laboratory, found that lax cells survived and replicated. Nearly seven decades later, her these so-called HeLa cells have now lived more than twice as long outside of lax body than inside. Lax died a few months later after her cancer diagnosis, but her cells continue to be used for research. They have been vital to studying disease, including COVID-19, as well as developing vaccines and, and IVF, to name a few examples. They have also become the foundation of a multi-billion dollar industry. There are more than 17,000 patents involving HeLa cells. Gee supplied the cells to scientists nationally and internationally without making a profit himself, though he gave no credit to Lax. Her family weren't even aware of the existence of the cells until 1973 when researchers at John Hopkins approached her children for blood samples to learn more about the HeLa cells. Their mother's cells had become a major boon to medical science, and Lax and her family did not receive any compensation or recognition. Lax's story became a wider public attention in 2010 with the publishing of Rebecca Sklut's book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lax. However, the controversy didn't end there. In 2013, the European Molecular Biology Laboratory in Heidelberg, Germany, published the HeLa genome without the consent of the Lax family, which could have revealed private genetic information about her descendants. Eventually, a compromise was, was reached called the HeLa Genome Data Use Agreement. So now two members of the Lacks family sit on the U.S. National Institutes of Health working group that grants permissions to access HeLa sequence information. This sort of agreement should be a blueprint for other genetic data. We are moving towards personalized medicine becoming the norm in which treatments are tailored to people's genetics. This approach has the potential to greatly improve how we treat disease, but it also relies on researchers having access to large amounts of genetic data from different samples. And with that comes issues around privacy and consent for both the individual and their family. In every case, there needs to be communication and transparency between the researchers and doctors and donors. So Lack's compelling case was a turning point in the field of bioethics. Most countries now have specific rules and laws around informed consent and privacy to help protect patients. That is a testament to the many ways in which LAX has transformed modern medicine. And this was an article produced by 
Maninder Aluwailia for New Scientist. So maybe I'll just add that to the uh, list of links that are relevant in this in this diatribe. So we've got a few minutes left. Would anybody like to like jump up and talk? There's only two people here. <laughs> Let me see. Should I call a few more people to the... There we go. Invited a few more people. See if we can get a few more souls in the room to make a difference. <clears throat> And this is really cool. We're going over genetic privacy. Ooh, okay, so there is a case for animal privacy and genetic privacy for animals. That's kind of a kind of an offshoot that I think is a little weird, but you know, okay, fine. So the Supreme Court of Canada upholds the validity of a genetic privacy law and that was a ruling in July of 20, let's see here, 2020 so let's see in September of 2020 there was a consumer genetic testing best practices report describing the significance of SB 980 compared to existing laws and voluntarily adopted best practices. I'm just going to retweet that. So that's the FPF. They're really great. Let's click on that. So this would be the GIPA law that was, has since passed and been signed. It gained unanimous support 5410 and 39-0. And that is the direct-to-consumer 23andMe applied law. Now, we could probably add something about this to upcoming updates for American privacy law to include more genetic privacy holistically. I think it would be a not bad idea because HIPAA has some coverage holes. Gina had, or the genetic, genetic information non-discrimination act has some privacy holes. So the policy behind this particular bill, which is now law, the genetic information privacy act could really help. Could really add a lot more protection for us nationally. If we really considered it, you know, kind of, on a more national basis as we're considering privacy law in general. So last pass, right before we quit for the evening. Does anybody want to come up and say anything before we get out of here? Going once, going twice. Okay. Well, I think I've made my positive remarks about uh, the issue regarding genetic privacy. I'm really glad to be joined by two Joes and a couple other people online. <clears throat> um, so I'm happy that you guys stopped in. We're going to keep going with the authoritarian moment tomorrow. Uh, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent by one Ben Shapiro. 
and we'll be continuing to read about, guess what? Oh, big surprise. Your authoritarian boss. So, yeah, tune in. Um, stay on the sanction. Stay as free as you can. And use that voice. Use that voice loud and clear. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, all in. Stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaDean.com.